I love the opportunity to invite people to come to Asbury to be trained by what I believe one of the best places to gain uh, theological education for women and for men um, in, our, in our tradition, but also even broader than that. And I just absolutely love to invite people to that. Um, it's exciting for me. Um, as one of our faculty used to say, if I could live your life, I would. And I feel the same way. If I could go back in some ways and have, the, have experiences and sit again and to learn and go back through, um, I, it's just such a gift. And I know maybe today you're feeling like, Eric, I'm halfway through the semester. It's not a gift. <laughs> Trust me, when you look back, you'll say it was a gift. Um, use this time to reflect, to learn, to deepen. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing to have that and to take advantage of it. And so it's a privilege today to be in front of you to share a few thoughts. It's always scary to, to share in chapel because you're here with the professors and then the students who are like the biblical scholars and the, and the contemporaries. My dad was a dairy farmer and uh, he went to conferences and watched the preachers during when other preachers are preaching. And he said to me, Eric, why do they not pay attention? That's what he said to me. He was at a conference, and he watched all the preachers. They were on their phones. They were on their iPads. They were on their laptops. And I said, Dad, I don't know. I really don't know. But it was interesting for my dad to notice that reflection. And it's scary for me because hopefully you'll pay attention to me when I'm speaking. I won't bore you or offend you, but maybe God will speak to you. That's my hope and prayer today for you. Um, I love the setup to the worship today. Um, with Don and her team, they did such a great job in, in setting the table for this time. Um, let me pray. And then um, we'll jump in to some reflections on Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. Lord Jesus, as already been prayed and as we've already worshipped, but once again, God, I know you're here, and I just want to acknowledge you. And God, I pray that my words would not be mine, but they would be yours. And I pray, God, that you would help me to speak what you would have me to speak today on this section of Scripture. And I pray, God, there would be something here that each person could take away and think about process and maybe even possibly input into their own lives. And for that, I give you the glory and credit. It's not mine. Um, I'm in your vessel today. And so, God, I pray that you'd use me. And I just acknowledge that right now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking about this over the last months. We've been talking about speaking about discipleship here in chapel. And one of the things that crossed my mind is living a life of invitation living a life of invitation. And even deeper than that, who are you or who am I inviting other people to watch, to see, to come to? You know, and as pastors or leaders in the church or in ministry or as counselors, you'd say, well, Eric, that's Jesus. Yes, but does your life really exemplify that? Does my life really exemplify that? Or does my life exemplify something else? And I've been wondering about that. Who am I inviting people to see? And so I kind of did a journey and started going back to the book of Acts and kind of landed in chapter 4 and looking through that and seeing how the disciples and the apostles were inviting people. And we see the first three chapters of that story unfolding. And then in chapter 4, even before verses 23 to 31, we see what happens. They get brought before the Sanhedrin to be called out for what they were doing, for their activities, for the invitation that they had been living out. And it was an interesting dialogue, and I don't have the time to get into all of that. As a good scholar, you know, you always have to look at the context and look at everything. And I kind of parachuted into 2331, realizing I only have a few minutes to share with you. 
I don't have an hour or two hours, but I want to acknowledge as a good scholar, you need to look at the scriptures before even the scriptures that I'm sharing today, okay? So you can pass it by Dr. Miller and Dr. Russell and the other biblical scholars that Eric covered that. That's important to look at that when you look at 23 to 31, and I wanted to acknowledge that. But I do want to spend some time in 23 to 31 because I think we can see a couple of things to take away in living a life of an invitation. And when you look at verses 23 to 31, as I just said, they have met with the Sanhedrin. That's a nice Canadian way of saying that they had a difficult conversation. Um, as a Canadian, where I'm originally from, we like to downplay things. They had a very frank, um, in some ways, potentially even a physical conversation with the Sanhedrin. It was very difficult. In Canadians, we just like to say they had a conversation. But it was much more than that, and you can read that. And they go back, and it's interesting, they go back to their community. And so the first thing that I want to share with you in verses 23 to 26 on my reflections is they had, they were, it was a foundation. They had a foundation. And they went back to their community, and they expressed that. If you look at verses 23 to 26, it was read, but I want to read it for you right now again. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Their kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They went back to the foundation of their faith. They went back and looked and they went to their foundation. And I think about sometimes in our lives, we like to think about the here and now. We like to think about the things in front of us, not behind us. But we can learn a great deal from our foundation. And when you're living a life of invitation, it's important to know your foundation. When I walk around this school, some people have said, why do we have the different pictures that we have up on our walls? Why do we have the, the disciples, the apostles on this wall? Why do we have the presidents further down? Well, I was here since 99, so I can fill you in. I can give you the history lesson. I was trained by the first director of admissions that was here, Tom Pope, and he gave me the explanation. Because we said, why do we have all these pictures? What's the point of this? Well, as one of the other founding members of this campus stated, we are in a stream that's moving, that's already flowing. It didn't just start when Eric Curry accepted Christ. There's a stream that's already been moving, and we're getting into that stream that's flowing. And I want to remind you that today, that sometimes we can feel like we're the starters of the faith. We're not. We're not even close to it, okay? And I love history, and so I love to go back. And when I think about here on our own campus, how have we tried to say there's an active moving stream, there's a foundation? One, obviously through our classes, but also the pictures. As a student, I would often go and look at those pictures and read their stories and be reminded of the faithfulness of our founders, the faithfulness of the ones who have gone before us. And when I look at the pictures of the presidents, they're just not there to look at and say, oh, that's nice, we have a connection to a school in Kentucky. No, it's a reminder of people who are passionate about a mission to train people in theological education and that they wanted to invite people into that stream and they wanted to empower them then to go out and to share the gospel of Christ, not only in Kentucky, not only in the United States, not only in Canada, all around the world. And there's that foundation. And I love that. And I love being reminded of that. And sometimes when we're in ministry or when we're in the life of Christ, we can get bogged down 
by the here and now or the future things we're seeing and saying, can God really overcome? Can God really break through? Well, I'm here to tell you today, God can. And you say, Eric, how do you know? Look at the foundation. Look back. Look at what Christ has done. Look at what the disciples did in this verses to their people. They went back and reminded. Even though they were facing what they were facing with the Sanhedrin, the leaders of that time, they went back to their foundation and they praised God. In those circumstances, I wonder, would I praise God if I had been brought before the Sanhedrin? Because it also said they were unlearned. I understand that. I'm a dairy farmer kid, as I said. First generation student to college, first generation to go get my master's degree. Um, sometimes you'll pick up on my language skills. Not real good. Well, I'll put it on my dairy farmer background and my rural education, okay? But I really relate and resonate with the unlearned aspect of that. They had to be trembling. They had to be saying, why me, God? Why am I a part of this? Well, they went back to their foundation and called that out, and they had that block. And so I say to you today, whatever you're facing, remember your foundation. Remember we're in a stream that's already moving and finding out our part in that stream. The second part that I want to share with you, and I speak fast, and I apologize in front. I was back up in western New York and originally from Canada, and so I picked up my speed dialect or speed of speech while I was there. Um, I have to slow down, and it will happen over time here now that I'm back below the Mason-Dixon line. I can speak slowly, but the Canadian side of me wants to go tempo. So, um, And when I was in western New York, they used to say, Eric, speed up again. You've been in the south too long because I've been here 14 years. And they said, Eric, you're just too slow. And I was like, all right. And now i got to remember, I'm back below the Mason-Dixon line. Slow down. Remember the foundation. The next aspect that I see in this is 27 to 30, and that's opposition. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I wonder today, how do we handle difficult situations with people who may block our mission or our ministry? How do we handle that today? You look at verse 30. I wish I had time just to kind of do a deeper study and just to kind of go into that a little bit longer. Um, the word that comes to me is, wow, is that our normal desire or prayer? Let me read that to you one more time in verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I might start meddling here in a moment with what I'm about to say, but I'll live it with my own life. This is me just speaking about my own personal experience. I have sat in enough pastoral staff meetings and conversations in Canada at Tim Horton's coffee restaurants where other ministry leaders, or unfortunately even for me, we would look at each other and say, you know, we're just a few good deaths away from church growth. And everybody would laugh. But you know what? That's not the spirit of God. When you look at what that scripture says and what they did and how they handled that, wow. I was convicted of that today because sometimes 
I make opposition personal. And it can be personal. I hear that. And it can be abusive. And we need to deal with that. This is not about abusive leadership situations, which if you are in a situation like that, you need to have other friends, colleagues, leaders find help, take care of that. But I'm talking about in places where we know it may be just whatever. It might be worship wars. It might be you want to do this or that. And sometimes we can make it so personal and we forget the bigger picture that this is about finding space for God's glory to break through and to minister and to work. And I know that in my own life. Sometimes I can make things so personal about the opposition that I'm facing and it has no business in that. It's everything about God and not about Eric. And when I see this scripture, this is about God's glory, about God breaking through, about God performing the miracles, about Jesus being glorified, about people being invited to a life with Jesus that's transformational, transformational that's life-changing. And so often we can get bogged down in opposition and in battles. And sometimes, yes, we have to take things on. I'm not saying that we don't. But I want you to make sure that you're clear in understanding what our position needs to be. And for myself, sometimes I need to empty myself and I need to allow God to take even over even more in those situations. It really spoke to me this week because I've been in leadership enough now where I've seen opposition become personal. And we have to remember that if we're working for Jesus, what's the bigger picture in this moment and in this time? The third is where we were kind of selling a great setup in the prayer today. It's about being empowered, about empowerment. Living a life of invitation, it is so important that we are empowered by the Spirit to do ministry. It is so important not to be doing it in our own strength. Because so often, we can take things on ourselves and we can own it, as we like to say or it's for me to do, and we leave God behind. I'll speak for my own life. I love control. That's why I hate to fly. I'm not the pilot. I had a, I had a conversation with a pilot that I was recruiting to come here um, as a student, and I was sharing with him a little bit coming to seminary. Then I said, after we were done, I said, can I ask you a personal question? I said, how are you as a passenger? And he looked at me, and he goes, I hate it. And I said, really? He goes, I, he goes, yeah. And I go, why? He goes, because I'm not up there in control. And I have to sit back there and trust these other people. I want to be the one doing it. And I'm like, oh, that's so freeing. I feel the same way. Even though I don't have a pilot's license or anything, I'd like to still fly the plane because I'm in control. <laughs> I think all of us in some way, somehow, in our lives, when we see things in the church or in our ministry or our place, we like to control it. We like to maybe manipulate it. We like to move it in the ways that we feel that it should go from our perspective. When in reality, we need to be listening to God and we need to be empowered by God and filled by God's Spirit. Remember this, an empowered life will attract people to you and to Jesus, more importantly. A non-empowered life will repel people away. Sooner or later, they'll catch on that that life, if they see it and it's not empowered, they're going to say, mm, that's not for me. That's not where I want to go. And you can see it. It's about the works. It's about the agenda. That's not an empowered life. And I challenge you today in your leadership and in your life, do the deep work 
of coming and being filled by the Holy Spirit to be empowered. It's so important that your work is being fed and empowered by Christ and not of yourself. I've been there. I've done it on my own. And I'll let you know, it's not pretty. It can be very destructive. It can land you in places where you have to spend a lot of time coming back out of recovering. But when you do it under the Spirit of Christ, it leads to such a better place. And more importantly, it leads people who you're leading, it leads them to life. And that's what we're about. We're about leading people to the life giver, and that's Jesus Christ. Not to myself or not to you. I think about two stories that kind of live that out of my own life. I think about one faculty member that I've had the privilege to have classes with that he lives an empowered life, and that's Bob Tuttle. If you've had the opportunity to be around that guy, he just bleeds, breathes life-giving, and it's all about Jesus. Within the five seconds of you meeting him, Jesus is going to come up. Just, it's unbelievable with this guy. It's not about Bob Tuttle. It's about Christ who lives in him, who's filled him. He is sharing that, living that out. And you may not agree with everything. I don't agree with everything that Bob shares, but this is the one thing that I will never discount or ever say is that he's not empowered. He's empowered. And I'll tell you this, I want what he wants, what he has. I want that. I want that Jesus. And if you have an opportunity to take a class with him, do it. It's a wild ride. I get it. You may wonder, is it really ever going to end? It will end, and he will make a point. It, just stay with it. I remember my wife, Charlene, as, as Jeff said, he, she graduated from here. She was taking a class with him, and she said, Eric, like, where is he going? I just said, just stay with him. The, at the, the last class, it will all come together. And I remember when she came home after the last class, after five days with him, she said, Eric, it all came together. It was unbelievable, and it really does. But that's because he lives a life that's empowered by our Christ. He lives an infilled life, and he attracts people to Jesus Christ. Why do people want to see him and connect with him? It's because he loves Jesus, and people are like, I want to know this Jesus. God help me to be that type of person. God help me to attract people to Jesus, not to repel people. We have enough people right now repelling Jesus away. We need to be attractors. We need to be people inviting in to this life-giving person who is Jesus Christ. The second thing is, from my own personal life is being a dad. And it's a little bit personal. That's the calling in some ways that I take first and foremost in the, in the invitational life is I think about my children. And I often wonder, who am I inviting them to? Is it my favorite football team? I'm not talking about uh, American football. I'm talking about Manchester United. Um, I do watch football, as Jose Hernandez likes to call it, or the game of heaven. Um, is that the sport that, or is that the invitation that my children are seeing? And I carry that burden, and I wonder, what are they really seeing? Because they see me every day. They see me when I walk through the door, and I wonder who Adabe and Jerusalem and Jacob see, and my wife as well. But my children are the ones who will end up being, in some level, the mini-me's. And I pray to God that they will live a life of attraction, and they will live a life that is inviting people to Jesus Christ, because that's the transformational life. That's the life that will lead them to have a life that is full and not successful in the world senses, but is in a sense where they'll have the deepest peace and the deepest happiness. Whether or not it's all together, that doesn't matter, but they will have the deepest sense of their life. And I think about that often, is who am I inviting my children to? 
And I wonder the same for you today. Who are you inviting people to see? Who are you inviting people to? Is it Jesus Christ, the life giver, the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Who is it? I pray to God it is. I pray in your church it's not to your latest church growth analytics, even though that's important. Invite them to Jesus, and you'll see a church come together. You'll see a community come together. We'll see a different United States. We'll see a different North America. We'll see a different world. But it starts with us first. Who are you inviting people to see today? Is it Jesus Christ, or is it something else? Remember today the foundation. Remember you're going to face opposition. And remember to be empowered. May God be with you.